If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 today. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. You can be Thanks, John. Let's take a moment to breathe and to pray. God of the wilderness, your spirit leads us to face the truth unprotected and exposed. So in our times of trial, help us to resist the worship of empty power, empty idols, empty voices. To resist the illusion of that vulnerability is weakness. Allow us to actually believe that in our vulnerability, in our need, we find you. That we might find our true food in Jesus Christ, the broken bread that is given. O God of the wilderness, meet us here now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've begun this, learning, this journey of Lent. And the word Lent comes from the Old English word to lengthen. It refers to the gradual lengthening of days in winter and spring, at least in the northern hemisphere. Um, and I experienced that lengthening this morning. Um, I can tell by the inability to say words to you all. So, good luck, Will. Um, this morning when I came downstairs and my phone said 510 and I looked at the kitchen clock and it said 410, I was like, what is happening? The lengthening of days. Over the centuries, Lent evolved into a 40-day period of preparing and renewing our hearts for Holy Week. This 40 days is something that goes back to the very beginning of Scripture. 
It's part of the scriptural imagination. 40 was both a shortened, shortened way to say for a really long time. A way this idea of 40 resonated, and it kind of told a story that was telling a story that was telling another story in God's sacred story. The flood for 40 days reigned in Genesis 7. Moses for 40 days was without food in Mount Sinai in Exodus. Elijah for 40 days without food as he journeyed to Mount Horeb. It says for both Moses and Elijah in their 40 days that they ate nothing. Same thing that is said about Jesus as he enters the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days the people of God wandered in the wilderness in Deuteronomy. And in today's sacred story, Jesus, for 40 days, ate nothing and was tempted, tested, heart revealed. The underlying idea here is that God is this master poet, composer that works in time and space to shape and to form. And he's been doing it from the very beginning. And in this season of Lent is inviting us into the same story, into this 40-day journey. We are invited to step into this pilgrimage of preparation, of wilderness, of 40 days of finding God and finding our true self. I love the line from the poem that Keeley read this morning that's called The Journey. It says, little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the, street, through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice. See, part of this 40-day wilderness pilgrimage that we begin and walk with Jesus today, it's, a, it's about letting go at times of those voices that are always haunting us. It's to journey beyond them, little by little. Our um, friend Chuck DeGroat, who came and spoke at our retreat last weekend, he talked about the second question that is asked in Genesis after God um, sees Adam and Eve and says, where are you? The second question was this, who told you? Who told you these lies that you're living based upon? Where did you believe the lies and the voices of shame, fear, insecurity, hate, and a striving makes you better? Who told you these things? During Lent, I think God is bringing us into the wilderness so that we may leave these voices behind and we may hear the one voice that sustains, the voice that comforts, the voice that invites us deeper and deeper in. Who told you these things? Take a little journey so that you may leave these voices and these lies behind and hear a new voice. I think of um, some of my friends that as they talk about their jobs and their work, and in the back of their mind, there's this voice that just keeps haunting them. Be a man. Can't you provide? You can do better than this. Lent says, leave the voice behind. I can think of the child that sometimes gets angry and yells, and the father that just says, stop being angry. 
And so she's learned that any emotion she has, just to push it down in a way, because it's not safe to be sad, to be angry. I can hear the student who's struggling in school, and the teacher just quickly say, are you even trying? I can hear all of the voices that we carry with us. Sometimes they're even good intended voices for our lives. Oh son, you're, you're the funniest one in our family. You keep it all together. The intent is so kind. But these voices have a way of haunting us that if we're strong enough, if we can keep our emotions away from our lives, if we can just be funny enough, then we'll be received and accepted and known and comforted and secure. Little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of cloud, and there was a new voice. The poem ends with these words. As you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could, determined to save the only life that you could save. On the surface, I think it seems like it's pointing to this just like self-reliance and just creating and saving myself, which we know is not what the gospel and the story of scripture leads us to. But as we follow Jesus into the wilderness, I think we need to pay attention what's happening. Before Jesus became the savior of all, the spirit led him into the desert so that Jesus could experience and know his own salvation, his own life in God. Friends, before we do a good Christian thing and give our lives for everyone else and go on our personal crusades of bringing salvation to the world, God asks us to follow, to repent, and to follow the Spirit into the wilderness where we find our true life, salvation, security, and God's voice, and God with us. Flannery O'Connor once had this, has this great line that says, the life, that you may sa- the life you save may be your own. Sometimes we're so focused about just taking care and saving others that God is saying, you know, let's start here and in your own heart. I've realized in my own life that unless I can find that place in which I commune with God and hear, how can we begin to lead other people to it? So let us journey with Christ, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Let us find the salvation and the voice that Jesus found in this wild landscape. There's three things real quick that I think, there's so many things in this passage and it's so rich with so much history. But one of the things, one of the things I think we gotta notice is where it starts from. So Jesus is going into this wilderness and he is led by the Spirit. But before Jesus goes into the wilderness, probably one of the most profound moments of Christ's life happens. As he walks to the baptismal waters, he's baptized, the Spirit descends just as it did over creation, and God proclaims in a loud voice over Christ, you are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. What's so amazing about that is that Jesus was named, identified, and believed that he was God's beloved before he steps in to the tempting, to the trial, to the wilderness. Before he could even prove that God should love him. Before that he could even prove his life and his ministry and heal people, 
He's given the identity of beloved. He is soaked with the waters of God's identity and life for him. And I just imagine him soaking wet, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So often in our Christian faith, we think that we earn it. We earn this identity of God, but we see clearly through the life of Christ that it is given and that it becomes the thing that we need to hold on to as we go through the wilderness of our lives. This is why today we'll celebrate this. It's just water, but it's a reminder. It's a reminder to us all Every time we wash our hands, every time it rains, every time we touch water, we are trying, God is trying to remind us with the very elementary things of this world that you are my child. And so when we're in the desert thirsty, the water reminds us that we are the beloved of God. And so that's why we baptize infants here at All Souls. It's because we get to look at them and say, you know, before... You can love or do good things in this world. God has loved you first. I don't think there is any reality that has helped my parenting more than this. That I trust that my kids are the beloved of God. It's not my job to make them into some moral superheroes. Though I want to so bad because it feels good on me, right? It's not my job to save them. It's my job, I believe, to remind them of their original blessedness, belovedness, that they are God's children. Friendship works the same way. True friendship, before you can earn it, before you, you, you prove it to everyone, and when you fall on your face, true friends, it, it goes to that place of that you, you are a beloved child of God, and that's what I see in you, and that's what I'm going to remind you of who you are, and that's why God has called me to be your friend. Whether it's for kids, whether it's for friends, whether it's for strangers or enemies, one of the things that I know is true is it's much easier to do that for others than it is for ourselves to believe this for ourselves. And so God kind of strips away everything and realizes that this salvation that Christ is going to offer to the whole world is also his own story. The Spirit leads and was present with Jesus into the wilderness. This wilderness, this idea of this parched land, it's not an evil place. It's not just a place of punishment, but it's a place of need. It's a place in which you're struggling to survive. And it's the Spirit, very clearly, she leads him into the wilderness. And as Jesus finds himself in the wilderness, I believe the Spirit is proclaiming over Christ. You may be in the wilderness, and it is a tough place to be. But if you're in the wilderness, that does not mean that you are lost. If you are in the wilderness, that does not mean that you are lost. And secondly, the Spirit says, you are not alone. If you're in the wilderness this morning, and all of our wilderness look different, grief, loss, pain, struggle, silent, out loud, we all carry part of the wilderness within our soul and within our own journey into part of how God forms us. But the Spirit wants to be very clear about the wilderness you maybe are in and following through, 
as you are in the wilderness, you are not lost because God is with you. You actually can't get lost because God knows where you are all the time and is present with you. Secondly, you are not alone. One, there is a community of people. The wilderness story is the story of the people from the very beginning of Scripture up to Jesus. Last year in my own life, I spent a lot of time wandering through the wilderness worried about how lost I was. That was about round eight of wilderness for me. I don't know about, it's not like a one time. I love when sometimes people come to me and it's like, I did my wilderness time. It's like, yeah, wait till next year. Um, Just deeper and further in, right? The spiritual life is always a kind of a spiral journey. You like travel through it, find a new land, and then you find yourself back there. But you're not going in circles. You're actually deepening. That's just how God leads us. It's not this linear, like you went through it, you processed, you are a well-developed Christian now, go. We travel through the wilderness so many times. We feel lost, alone, and afraid, and ashamed. When we're there deepest in the woods and most scared and feel like we're walking in circles is the moment usually that the Spirit reveals, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not lost. You're not alone. And so Jesus is traveling through the wilderness with a companion, the Spirit, and is led to be tempted, to be tested with three realities, and I'll do them quickly. One is comfort, the second is power, and the third is security. I don't know if you've struggled with these things in your own life. I'm guessing not. Maybe it's just me, so this will be for me for a minute. Comfort. Have you ever worried about comfort, power, and security in your own life? Jesus is tested, tempted. I don't know if those are the best words for it because the idea of testing in the language and also in the story of Scripture is one in which there is a revealing, a showing of one's heart and soul. It's kind of a stripping away of everything to just see what is really in there. See what we're really being dependent upon. Comfort, turn these stones into bread. Sustain yourself, the evil one says. The lie is that you can sustain your own life. You can comfort yourself. You can put yourself together. You're in charge of you. The second is power. This question is so deep and one that you should just chew on for the rest of Lent. The evil one says this. um, He gives this lie. You can have it all. You can have it all. I actually think this is like consumerism 101. It's every commercial, it's everything we have, and it has good intents, but it's just saying, you know what? If there's something you want in your life, you can have it all. You can order it, you can buy it, you can get it quick, three days, eight days, 20 seconds, I don't know, but you can have it all. And I see people in this community, and I see myself just striving and longing to have more, not because I'm greedy or need more, but just because it feels like maybe I'm not enough. Maybe you don't compare, and so the evil one comes and says, you can have it all. All of the power, all of the needs, all of the comforts in life, it's possible for you to have it all. We're building cultures upon this lie. The last is security. Hey, if you fall, who's going to take care of you? When you fail, who's going to pick you up? If you jump off this building, the angels will grab you, right? Let's test that and see. So afraid of security. 
We may be more secure than we ever know, but we're still fearing the next shoe to drop. It never goes away. I think of um, so many of us that, you know, you sit down, you get to that point in your life where you're like, okay, it's getting closer maybe to the end. Am I taking care of life and other people and money? Do I have enough money? And so I'll sit down with financial advisors. If you do that, it's a great job. Thank you for the work that you do. Yet, when you sit down with a financial advisor, they don't really have an end game, right? They're never like, oh yeah, here's enough. If you just get to this point, it will be enough. There's always one more thing you could save, you could build. There's always one more barn to build. It's because we feel this deep need for security. We're afraid that God won't take care of us. So Jesus answers these three temptations with the very story of God. Jesus answers, these story, Jesus answers this voice that keeps haunting him, and he is able to leave this voice because he believes in a deeper voice that has been speaking from the beginning of the blessed creation when it said it is very good. Jesus answers all of these things with the story of God. He comes, all of Jesus' answers come from the book of Deuteronomy. When I was in seminary, we had, to st- we had to memorize a passage, and this is the one I memorized. And I also, during the part where it would, like Jesus gives his one-liner, in, in the Hebrew understanding, the idea when you would give this one-liner, it would kind of be like the intro to that chapter of God's story. So you're like, it's kind of like when we quote movies, maybe, you know? It's like, you know, I'll quote that movie, and I'll, I'll bring up a quote from Tommy Boy, and then you'll remember the entire movie of Tommy Boy if you're a holy and sacred person, as you should. So that's what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is going back to the story, and we're going to actually read it. And I want you to catch maybe what Jesus is, is tapping into. Hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread and take care of yourself in comfort? Jesus answers, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order that you, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep streams gushing out into the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. It sounds like Eden, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. Jesus is quoting this whole thing. He is remembering this whole story. And so this story, this voice, this God who provides, even in the wilderness, is what Jesus claims on to. The second one, he says, oh, you you can have it all. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, probably the most important scripture For the Jewish community, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to his fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large, flourishing cities. You did not build houses filled with all kind of things. You did not provide wells. You did not dig vineyards and olive groves. You did not plant. Then you eat, you will eat and are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods and the gods of the people around you. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6. And he realizes that his salvation is not on his own digging, not on his own ability, not on satisfying himself, but his reality is based on God does these things for you, and I am reliant upon God. See, Jesus is remembering a deeper story that is truer than these lies that are presented before him. But the story is pointing to one simple thing for us today. When we're tested, when we're struggling, when we're in the wilderness, we believe the lie that we have to take care of ourselves. We try to become more self-reliant, stronger, better, faster. But the story from Deuteronomy The story that Jesus is going back to is said, no, I know it's hard, but rely on God. He's the one that feeds you in the desert. He's the one that's bringing you into a good land. He's the one that sees you and knows you and walks with you. And so we begin, just like Christ, to believe this deeper story, this deeper truth of God providing We believe this deeper truth of being reliant upon God and God's grace. Now, this is the paradox that I think I'm barely learning myself. So, it may not be true. Take the rest. Take Deuteronomy. That stuff's true. Here's the thing is I think when we become reliant on God on a daily basis, when we just surrender and become reliant on God, I think we actually find our own voice. It actually kind of feels like confidence in who you are and who God made you to be. The lie I believed forever is that relying on God just meant that I was worthless, that I couldn't do anything. But when we truly rely on God, God's spirit dwells within us and we find that voice that God has within us. We find that life that we have buried with other voices. We find something that sustains us and gives us peace. Relying on God, honestly, it doesn't usually look like weakness in this person just walking around like mush. It looks like someone who is anchored in the identity of being the beloved of God and living and creating from that place. And so here's three questions for Lent. Who do you trust for your nourishment, your daily nourishment? Is it your job? Is it the words of others, the amount of money in the account? 
Who do you trust? What do you trust for your daily nourishment of your life? Second question. What do you worship? We are idol-making people. It's like what we do. Figure out what those idols are. Figure out what you worship. And the last one, whom do you trust to love and care for you? What does it look like to trust God for that? The wilderness has a way of empowering our fidelity, our love for God. It strips us down to flesh and bone. It reveals our heart, and we see that God is still there, has not left us, and was with us. So friends, in these lengthening of days, may we journey with Christ to realize that he has gone before us, he is with us, and that he is in us, leading us into a good land. The word for good land, for a, gracious, for a spacious place, is grace. He's leading you into the land of grace, which has already been fully given to you. Let's pray.